Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits. I'm getting very, very mentally frustrated by everything that's coming out in the news. And I know I'm the news, I know I'm the media, and I know I'm partly responsible for everything as well. But when I see headlines in the Independent, the Journal, and RTE, and I'll just read out the Independent headline for your coronavirus, Ireland. Five more deaths, 69 cases, as chief, uh, health chief warns, rise in reproduction rate, a serious concern. So most people, when they, on their mobile phones, they get a notification of the headline. And immediately they go, wow, you know, we haven't had a debt in seven days. And all of a sudden, five people are dead in the 69 cases. This is very concerning. And of course, it would be. But then you delve into the figures and you find out that actually one person died today. Um, four of those deaths were from April, May and June. Why they're being added now is beyond me and why they weren't added at the time. And they don't also mention in headlines on a regular basis that many of the deaths that are recorded are also removed again when they find out they didn't actually have COVID-19. They were suspected cases. The one person that died and my condolences to the family and friends of the person who died. And I don't know how they died. We don't know how they died. What age were they? Not that age is that important, but the point is, if somebody was at end of life um, and they had underlying illnesses and sadly they were going to pass away anyway and happened to be tested positive for COVID-19, it goes to COVID-19 death. And that will continue to happen, by the way. Don't be fooled by the fact that the virus is going to be around for a long time. There is a virus there. It's going to be around for a long time. Some scientists say 20, 30 years. So realistically, we're always going to have people who will die who may be COVID positive. Just like we had many, many times, we will have people who die of pneumonia, who would have other underlying illnesses of influenza, who have other underlying illnesses who may be HIV positive, but will die of another Ill underlying illnesses. That happens all the time, every single day. 90 people in this country die every single day from di- for different reasons. So... When I see, and, and the 69 cases, this is another concern. Yes, there is 69 cases, but only two of those cases are community transmission. In other words, you would catch it when you're out and about in the shops or in work or whatever it happens to be. The majority of these cases we've been dealing with for the last four or five days, which has caused this increase, which are meat factories. There's a dog factory in Nace, a meat plant in Tullamore, and two further ones in Kildare Town. It's already been established that the other one, by the way, is in Timahu. And it's already been established that the reason for that is because a lot of the workers and some of the workers from there are also living in direct provision where you might have two and three people to a room. And maybe some people are not isolating. I don't know exactly what they're doing or whether they're being told to isolate or what happens. But those cases are confined to those clusters. So they're not in the community as such, thankfully. And I, I think we need to be given that information because otherwise all it does is strike fear into people when... We don't have any deaths, thankfully, for seven days. And then all of a sudden, you see a headline. Five more deaths. There isn't five more deaths. There is one death, sadly, and we don't really know how the person died. We know they were COVID positive, but we don't know if they died of COVID-19 or from COVID-19, which are very important words. But we do know four of those deaths didn't happen now. They happened months ago when this was at its peak. So I think it's really important that we're given factual information Because this is a very important time in the history of mankind when it comes to the way social media and the media have a responsibility to report things, I believe, accurately. Because we are instilling fear in people. And I watched it today as I was out shopping. And I watched the fear in some people. 
And some people there isn't fear. Uh, they're living life, you know, they're trying to live as life as normally as they can with a virus in our midst that unfortunately does take lives. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, and common sense should prevail. But we have to put things into context and perspective and stop scaring people. Right, I just had to get that out. And I'll come back to it later because I want to talk about the publicans' protest as well. Will you support a protest if the publicans organise one? And on Tuesday night on the show, we spoke to Deirdre, and it's been in the papers now as well, that the many publicans who are not allowed to open their pubs, because as you know, they paused um, the phase, the final phase there, and the pubs now will not be open until the 31st of August. Will you support the pubs if they protest in Dublin? Or do you not support them and think what they're doing is irresponsible? But the first thing I wanted to do tonight was I wanted to talk to somebody who knows a lot about our rights, so to speak. And uh, David Langwalner, uh, founder and director of the Irish Innocent Project at Griffith College, which was launched back in 2009 and was recognised by the Innocence Network in 2010. He's a constitutional and public law barrister who has also litigated several criminal defence cases. He's a practising Irish barrister and member of Field Court Chambers in Grays in London. He's a graduate of Trinity College. The list goes on and on. The man's CV is longer than my legs. Uh, good afternoon to you. <laughs> or good evening to you, David. Yeah, well, I'm a barrister of what MC B chambers in London, but, but, but thank you for all of that. Listen, just what you were saying about falsification and statistics is very important. If you look at the greatest book ever written about a plague by Albert Camus, The Plague in Oran in, in Algeria, the, his famous book, The Plague, he talks about official management and mismanagement of information and people relying on official statistics which are falsified or message managed. And it's so important, uh, Camus' famous quote, um, you know, when people believe that, you know, uh, when man says that two and two equals four will be condemned to death, which is in the plague, then we've lost all reality. And if they're feeding us disinformation and saying there are five deaths today, when there are only one, then that is engendering, which is correct. Well, so, see, the way, you, uh, the way uh, they, will, they will argue and challenge me and say, well, there is five deaths, but there just happened to be four of them were registered today. The other four just happened to die months ago. And well, we, yeah, but we're just not adding them till today. Well, that's a bit like the Naomi Campbell thing, when they, one of the newspapers in Britain published a story of, and they had a picture of her coming out of a drug rehabilitation clinic, which was years previously. It's a distorted image. And your point, Sean, about the need for the media to behave responsibly and report responsibly, and indeed the government, which is Albert Camus' point, is very prescient in this day and age, simply on the basis that otherwise you're going to engender public panic. But, but that's the problem. Well, look, I, I want to get around. We'll talk about public panic in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you, I suppose, specialize in constitutional law. As a barrister, you would understand constitutional law. Yeah, sure. And I there... lectured it for 16 years in the King's Age. Yeah, but, but, and I practice... I've had major constitutional cases, and if you want to ask me about that, I'm happy to. Okay, well, let's let's just talk about that first. There's been a lot of talk about constitutional law and legislation over the last six months in particular. Um, The argument, of course, is is that the the laws have been brought in, in I suppose, in the greater interest of public health and to save lives. Uh, Emergency legislation, which has a sunset clause in November, which is brought in under the Constitution from the 1930s when we had TB. Sunset clause, for starters. Okay, well, we'll get to the Sunset Clause in a second. But is any of this legislation unconstitutional? Now, I know there was a case taken uh, to the courts, but it, it wasn't that the case was re- rejected. It was the case wasn't presented properly. But is, is any of this legislation that is being brought in unconstitutional in your eyes? Well, potentially so, because 
the, de- the definition of the restrictions on liberty and freedom of movement and potentially uh, interference in people's privacy are dependent on the existence of a public emergency. Now, that's point one. And the question becomes, is this a public emergency of magnitude? And it doesn't seem to me it is at all. It, well, it of is, course, the, uh, the, the, the medical officer will disagree with you on that, but yeah. Well, why? I mean, it is not as yet like, uh, for example, the 1918 flu epidemic. That is not a reason to suggest that one shouldn't be cautious and careful. But different countries have had different responses. The Swedes allowed people out to socially move, to interact. And they've kind of, there were significant amounts of deaths, but they've kind of been vindicated in hindsight about this. And if you restrict... Well, when you say they've been vindicated, they they have had a higher number of deaths per million. Now, I do know they've an older population, and that's acceptable. I accept that argument. But, But in saying that, they have had a higher instance of death per million. Yes, they have, but not as high as other countries. And it's also the case as well that what they've done is they've allowed people to go about their daily business. The the effect, the point you're making about not just COVID deaths, but non-COVID deaths, if you isolate people, socially atomize them, uh, uh, then the effect on mental health and physical health, heart attacks, drugs, mental deterioration will be considerable, particularly, as you correctly say, in, in poorer areas. And the effect in Britain, in terms of the north of England now, is disproportionately greater than the south of England. And it's also the case in America as well. The poor areas are getting devastated. But is it a case, David, of when governments make decisions, be it in relation to lockdowns or restrictions or local lockdowns or freedom of movement, that they're damned if they do, but damned if they don't? Because at the start of this, like everybody else, I was, you know, I was listening to the experts. We had them on the air here back in February and March, and this was doomsday stuff. I mean, WHO were putting out figures of 5% mortality. We were all thinking we were going to die. And, you know, everybody kind of went along with it and felt this is the right thing to do. But then as the figures started to come out, we thought, well, okay, maybe there's a bit of an overreaction. So is it a case of damned if they do, damned if they don't? In other words, if they don't make the decision to lock down and lots of people die, that we then blame the government? Well, well, there there is an element of that. If I want to say something risky about experts, there's a famous quote by the writer William Burroughs, where he said, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. And the amount of conflicting levels of expertise has been jaw-dropping. Uh, uh, people being falsified left, right and centre, particularly over Britain, about what to do and what to do accurately. And the government, of course, both in Ireland and Britain and elsewhere, are subject to expert opinion telling them what to do. Uh, So they're in an invidious position, not dissimilar to the 2008 banking crisis. But but that said, let's just focus on this. My concern about restrictions on liberty, privacy and movement, yes, you say a sunset clause in November, but the Irish pattern has always been these things continue over time. So we had emergency legislation 1939 for the Second World War, which was not repealed until 1973. And then we introduced a, a different form of emergency power. And what was that legislation? Was that for TB at the time? Well, 1939 was because of the Second World War and it allowed people to be rounded up and executed without a trial, without a jury court. In 1973, it was, it was a perceived emergency in the north of Ireland. These things become, to use a journalistic but legal phrase, embedded over time. And one is hesitant, and the leading House of Lords judge, Sumption, has agreed with me about this, the former Supreme Court judge in Britain, that once you go down the slippery slope about restricting people's rights and give 
government's power, particularly a deeply right-wing, conservative, autocratic government in Ireland. I mean, certainly the Fine Gael. Would you would you would you consider our government would you consider our government to be right-wing conservative? Considering right-wing conservatives would turn around and say they've turned their back on conservatism because over the last you know four or five years with the referendums we've had in this country and the government, um, you know, I suppose pandering no, for no, a yes vote in each of the marriage equality well, no, and no, abortion, the pro- the pro- they'd say the they're the a liberal government. No, they're not at all. The problem with Ireland has always been, it's like a hangover. Uh, we're concerned about things like gender equity and abortion, gay rights. I'm not, nothing against any of those issues. The real issues are poverty, social exclusion, and housing. If you focus on these issues, the government is doing nothing about the potential of throwing people out into the streets in January with the risk of coronavirus number two affecting them. And the rent relief and the mortgage relief, the consensus of neoliberal nonsense. And if you look at today, for example, the Attorney General of Ireland is Gallagher. Gallagher set up NAMA. Today in the north of Ireland, they're prosecuting NAMA. So when people talk about liberalism, they've got to understand what it actually means. Um, Liberalism has nothing to do with these superficial rights about lifestyle rights. It has to do with the most important issues affecting Irish people today, their poverty, their inequality, and their livelihoods. You talk about the pubs. Well, I mean, you know, we've got to work a way where people under viruses, and you say viruses to come, under a world that is under siege from economic and environmental effects, that people have the ability, particularly small businessmen, to earn a livelihood. Now, and, and okay, so there, well, there was a question somebody asked me the other night to ask you because I mentioned that you'd be on the air, and, yeah. and, and there was a very famous case here in Ireland. I won't say who it was, but it was going back uh, about twenty years ago, where uh, somebody who was involved or certainly seemed to be involved in criminal activity uh, was denied a right to earn a living. And the judge at the time of the High Court said that nobody should. He won the case based on the fact that the state was denying him a right to earn an act, uh, to earn a living in this particular job because oh, he had to get a guard, a clearance, blah 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 blah. Right. So, do we all have a right, and you know, a, an absolute right to earn a living? Well, I mean, it depends who you look at it. I mean, does go does anybody in Goldman Sachs have a right to earn a living? They should all be in prison. Uh, do some of our top bankers have a right to earn a living? No, this, many of them should be in prison, as indeed should some of our top lawyers, allegedly, given the financial and economic mismanagement. Does an international drug dealer have a right to earn a living? No. But, but does well, I mean a legitimate living, obviously not, not from ill-gotten gains. Yeah. I mean legitimate living. Well, a person has a right to have... Well, the only possible alternative is you provide someone with this idea of a universal basic income, you provide for their entitlements, you make sure that they have the basic foodstuffs. And generally speaking, I think we need to get rid of the culture of greed and focus on sustainable living structures. It was, is, it fi- is it Finland they wanted to bring in this universal basic uh, wage where they gave everybody exactly the same amount of money and then it was up to you to earn more if you wanted to? Is that Finland they were trialling that, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think in northern countries as well. But, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, but it's absolutely necessary, I think, at this stage. Okay. We need to curb the inequality divide. So, it, it, But if, if the publicans, for example, are not being given an opportunity to have basic income, or basic standard of life, and then all jobs in the retail industry. The, I mean, let's forget about pub owners or pub conglomerates. Let's focus on the barman. So he has a right to work in his bar. Well, if he's not given a right, who's going to bail him out? Okay, so in you other know, words, they're the bankers, but they won't bail out him. 
Okay, so essentially, could businesses that are going out of business because they're not being allowed to reopen again, could they sue the state? Well, you can. There's a well-trodden path. It's Parsis and Kavner, Sandy, I think these are the place you might be referring to, that the right turn and livelihood is an unspecified right under the Irish Constitution, but it's not, as you say, an unrestricted right. It can be subject to layers of regulation. There's a case called Landers, which says children, for example, don't have a right to turn live the other. You can't have a child single at night. There's a case called Shani, which says, well, you don't have a right to turn live the other if you're hawking your wares, I think, in Dunphy. Hawking your wares. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, I, I think it was to do with a street trader. So you, you, you have a right to with the, What was that? There was an old law years ago. A friend of mine who was a busker was ar- arrested with um, loitering with intent to collect arms. Well, yeah, it's also <laughs> the name of Peter O'Toole's autobiography. Yeah, absolutely. And he himself, Richard Harris, did a lot of it in London in Ireland in the 60s. But that offence, uh, for the moment, has gone. But, 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 no, but get, let point. me get back to our constitutional rights. So, well, in the point about loitering with intent. Okay, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Which is, in this day and age, when we're all wearing face masks and people are being controlled and crowded into their behavior, if somebody walks down the street looking like a hippie uh, or, or a nefarious police force, will probably profile them, arrest them, and lock them up. Uh, so loitering with intent by our sus, by, by definition, might be back in flash. In relation to the lockdown, um, obviously yeah. we're still restricted somewhat, but going back two months ago, we had a lockdown period where you couldn't travel two kilometres from your home. Um, that There's a possibility, uh, certainly with the way figures are being put contextualised at the moment, that lockdown could come back or could be regional, as it is in the UK. What? Where are our constitutional rights if, if I, during a lockdown, get into my car and drive more than two kilometres and a member of Angarda Shea stops me at the side of the road? What is my constitutional right? Even though there is legislation there, what is my constitutional right? Well, well, I mean, I think there needs to be, to advert to a point you made earlier, um, without going into the details of it, there was an aborted constitutional challenge, which was ill-conceived. There needs to be a proper judicious challenge by appropriate people to consider the nuance of this legislation. It seems to me outrageous that you can stop people's movement in that way. The only precedent I can think of is there's a case in the European Convention of Human Rights called Gazzardi. He was an Italian mafioso. They couldn't get evidence against him. So they locked him up in this island in Asidera, I think, off the coast. And they said, you can walk around the island, but can't leave the island. And the entire European Court of Human Rights went berserk. And since the breach of Article 6 and freedom, that's what they're doing to the Irish people now. Well, it's not, well, I'm fair to say, but it's not just the Irish people. It's, it's people from many countries around the world, including the United Kingdom as well, where... You operate too, so you know what I mean? Well, no, in the United Kingdom, it's much more flexible at this stage. I mean, whether that's wise in social policy terms is a different matter. And people are, let's put the other side of the argument. If you go and infest a pub or you infest a a rave or whatever you do, then you're creating a social problem. But the United Kingdom is much more flexible about freedom of movement and restrictions in that respect. And, and, and have they, and have they paid for that? I mean, do you think they, that is the reason? What, well, I mean, obviously, they're, they're denser populated cities. But do, do you believe that is the, have they paid for that? I mean, the United Kingdom, unfortunately, is a hotspot for COVID-19 in Europe. Well, not in the South now, but it was terrible. I, I suppose that is right. And they did. Um, it, it, Whose fault was that? Very, was that Boris's fault, do you reckon? From the very well, start? I mean, 
again, it's your point about politicians being subject to conflicting levels of information. I mean, uh, my view about all of this, and you mentioned the facilities in Ireland. I, I don't know that there the, are cases now. It was caused in Wuhan. That's unregulated neoliberal capitalism, deregulated capitalism gone mad. That's what's caused all of this situation, a world economic order that makes no sense. Now, how do we respond to it? Hopefully, we respond in a way which protects people's human rights as much as possible, but allows people to be human. But you also have to protect the vulnerable too, don't you? Well, that's true. From a health point of view. Yeah, but an under-resourced health system, which has been guilty of privatisation for many years in Ireland and Britain, isn't going to necessarily protect the vulnerable in this particular context, unless they self-isolate. But if the if the vulnerable and the aged and the elderly self-isolate, then they're non-productive members of humanity and their mental health deteriorates. It's so often the case that older people feel sidelined and neglected when they are valuable things to contribute. I mean, the Japanese have the concept of the sensei or the wise man. You don't get elected to the Japanese mm. parliament before you're 70. I mean, the idea that we're discarding people in some sort of social Darwinist, Malthusian way is disgraceful. I mean... Assumption for all his sins, and he is not that right, the former Supreme Court judge in Britain, has spoken out stridently in every forum about the breaches of human rights in this particular context. We need a balance. But this is what I... Okay, that was my next question. So isn't it for people who are politicians, who essentially a lot of them are school teachers and, you know, yes. and, and just people who used to work in the civil service at some point in their life. I mean, generally speaking, I mean, they're only human. It's, isn't it difficult to get a balance or strike a balance between protecting people who are vulnerable or might be immune compromised and allowing freedom to the healthy who most likely, if they catch COVID-19, it's going to be no worse than a bad cold. So realistically, isn't there a balance to strike? And it's difficult to strike that balance, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you kind of hit the nail on the head when you talk about the background of our glorious political class, you know, a confederacy of dunces and idiots, mostly, um, um, with, with limit. The, the balance must be struck in this way. You adverted to it. It is COVID-1, COVID-2, and covid to come. And then also, it is also the effect of the environmental destitution, without getting too futuristic about it, the Denim Glacier is on the point of collapse, the world is heating up, agrofuels, whatever. We're dealing with an altered universe, and the question becomes, in that universe, not to be too draconian in terms of the infringement of... These are basic Irish rights. We're known for being a subversive, dissident population. You know, when Rabbit, I think, sought to introduce this legislation, ludicrously stopping criticisms of politicians, um, it got a, a damn squid. We're known for the crack. We're known for the fight. We're known for the pub talk. The Cade Meal of Falcha, yeah. It's a good thing about Irish people that we're obstreperous, you know? The, the mad Fenian blood is a good thing. Once that's controlled out of the system, we're all boxed up in little corporate shoes, which has been bad enough for a period of time then the whole culture of dissidence and dissent, which has made Ireland great and produced our best people, Edmund Burke, Samantha Robinson, will be all gone out the window. Now, the balance is protecting people's civil and human rights, while it's also protecting public health. But public health is best protected, not by lockdown, by investment in infrastructure, and not by throwing people out in the streets, as the government is proposing to do, by abolishing rent relief and mortgage relief. 
when the Finnegan government has said nothing but destroy uh, many middle class and working class livelihoods and engender a problem of homelessness. And the Nobel Prize winning economist Stiglitz called this policy a policy that started in 2008, NAMA and that corrupt entity it is, that's now being prosecuted finally today in the north of Ireland, socialism for the rich, capitalism for the poor. It's time for the decent elements within Finnegale such exist. And certainly there are perhaps more decent elements or more responsive elements. Yeah, they can't all be bad. Yeah, to to just recognise their obligation as government is for the people of Ireland, not for the cartel of 1%, or or, or the people who destroyed the country. Um, Their obligation is to protect people's rights and also to protect their safety. Well, 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 they claim they claim they're doing that at the moment under the guise of all the legislation they've introduced over the last five or six months to a lot of people will say control the population. Others will say to protect the population. Why are they they abolishing the rent relief and the mortgage relief so people will be put out in the streets in January and the evictions will proceed? Well, there there is a ban on evictions at the moment, which has been extended. Till January. Yes. Yes. Uh, which will no, well, not, not so, I, I, well, I don't know actually when, when, when it is. I, I mean, I know the new Minister for Health suggested that um, it, that was most, most supposed to end last week uh, at the end of the month, but he has extended the ban. Yeah, well, he has extended the enforcement. Yeah, but the point is, via, this is, you know, against the notion of the climate of fear, but the histology of viruses suggests, if you look at the 1918 pandemic, Wave two is going to be more severe. Now, no one quantifiably knows how more severe it is going to be. But obviously, it will be fused with the flu and influenza over the winter and so on. So what do you say? So, okay, well, then, let, well, let me ask you, David. If, if you were in charge and you were the one <laughs> to make the decisions, God, God, God preserve us all if I had to do it and you had to do it. But, I mean, it would be a difficult it choice. It would be a lot better, actually. Well, probably, yeah. Enough. I think I think I'd certainly do a better job anyway. But if you were if you were in charge and you've seen a rise in cases and you were here in Ireland and you've seen a rise in cases and a rise in deaths, which hasn't happened, thankfully, we've seen some rising clusters of all right in meat factories, uh, but thankfully, very few deaths over the last fourteen days. But if you did see a substantial rise in deaths, say tomorrow, twenty people died and fifty people died the next day. What would you do? Would you would you go back into lockdown again? Or no, would... no, I don't think that. I don't think that's a workable hypothesis. The elephant in the room in all of this, quite apart from external environmental considerations and all of this, is that we're facing a depression unprecedented since the 1930s. If it hasn't started already, um, in this is an economic depression. Yet. Yes, I know. I know but, the the Bank of England did say already it wasn't going to be a recession. It would be a depression. No, no, I, I, th- I think people don't realize the full force of that. I mean, you've got to go back to John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath or James Agee's book, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, to realize what that can mean for people in a different context. Well, put it into context. And when do you believe, I mean, people haven't seen the recession yet because we're still in the middle of the pandemic and, and no, the effects are still there. It's not a recession. Well, depression. depression. Okay, so give me put that into some context. If we look forward, say, in two years' time or a year's time, there is a suggestion, and I saw in the Financial Times there recently, that Britain will have recovered by 2023. Um, and I, I imagine Ireland pretty much the same. Do you believe that they will have recovered financially by 2023? Uh, no, I... I don't. Th- I, I think the problem is more structural. The problem is th- there are COVIDs to come, and this virus may dissipate after COVID too. There will be a second wave in October, November, and that might be draconian. But 
the, the world economic system is in a tailspin anyway because it's been based on the false ideology of neoliberalism, which isn't really capitalism. It's just consolidating wealth for people like Goldman Sachs and vulture funds and 1%. Now, th- th- that's bad enough. Uh, and there's no imperative within this consensus. The EU imposed austerity on us and have destroyed many things. There's no imperative to have what is needed, which Johnson referred to recently in fairness, however phony he might have said so, which is the need for a new deal. And I wrote about it in Cassandra Voices and Irish Central. Which And, and Roosevelt, who is this most remarkable human being, we lack him now. When he was president of America at the time of the Great Depression, he told everyone to go screw. And he created a public-private partnership, and he nationalized them. We should have nationalized. If you look at our, in our in 2008, Iceland nationalized the banks. They're now out of recession. They're stable. Out of recession, they're stable. They're not that affected by this. We set up an Enron bad bank, NAMA, that the good burgers of the north are prosecuting. No, the bank. Well, didn't Bank of Ireland only release a statement yesterday? They'd be laying off 2,600 staff or something around that. But mind you, a lot of that's to do with technology as well, because people bank online now. But, but, but when you talk about people in abstract numerical terms, you're forgetting about the Okies and the Dust Bowl people of the 1930s. What is going to happen to the plain people of Ireland if we don't provide them with real support? By the way, there's a question. People are texting in questions for you now. Obviously, it seems you're a barrister and you understand what's going on better than most. Uh, he wants to know, and I'm going to read this out for you. A uh, question in from a landlord who owns two pubs but has oh, them rented out. He says that he's not uh, getting rent because of the rent because of the rent freeze. And this is the idea at the moment that you can't evict somebody. Can Davis uh, envisage any compensation for him as he's not getting any rent and can't because of the government's rent freeze? And the same person also wants to know if he has any right to evict the tenants or is the government at fault for that as well? In other words, well, the, I mean, the tenants I mean, are not paying him because they know they can't be evicted because the government are, have frozen yeah, evictions. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I, we, we need a whole social adjustment to adjust the relationship between landlords and tenants. Uh, I, 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 there, there is a case called Blakesley Madigan in 1982, which is very pro, in effect, landlord. Um, so he could rely on that. But that was historic, and it's in the context of questions of the common good and social justice. We're living in an altered universe. I, I'm not disrespecting this person's property rights. It's a bona fide question. That's not the relevant consideration. The relevant consideration is creating a more socially just society. And that involves taking account of the interests of landlords, of tenants, of individuals, of the plain people going to hospital, and of people's right to analyze and whether they be landlords. I suppose the point he's making is, under normal circumstances, if somebody refuses to pay rent, you can give them notice and remove them from your property, which would be fair. Um, but because of the government's decision to, to freeze evictions, he doesn't have the right to do that. So he, can he be compensated by the government? Well, well, if you adopt the logic of the Rooseveltian New Deal, then what you need is a public-private partnership to stabilize the economy in a Keynesian way, which John Maynard Keynes like the ghost has come back. Uh, this whole neoliberal Friedman-like model has been shaman-like alchemy bullshit, and it's destroyed everything since 1979. Um, neoliberalism gone mad, so it's a cartelization of wealth into 1% of humanity, the bailing out of people like Goldman Sachs, most of whom should be in prison, including the people in Ireland. What we need is a proper level of adjustment to deal with the rights of middle class and working class people in the country, whether they be landlords or tenants. And that involves a public-private partnership that is not... And, and I, I am not going to completely disagree with what you're saying, David, but that's the future. He's talking about right now he's in a situation 
where as a landlord, surely he has some some rights as well, you know, to not be uh, financially affected by the decisions of the government. And, 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 and that's the question I asked you initially. All of these issues, let the government get their fingers out on all of these issues to create in a changed climate. And as you're correct in saying, it's not going to, it's not going to shift. It's going to be COVID number two and onwards. And re- okay, just can you come back to the phone a bit, David? I'm, I'm losing you a little bit on the phone there. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, sorry. A recalibration of the relationship structure. The government is going to have to say that people are going to be protected from eviction, but equally that landlords will have to be compensated. And that's a governmental decision. And that involves a redistribution of resources away from some of the people who don't deserve it. I'm not saying a small business landlord doesn't deserve it. I am saying Goldman Sachs uh, and or parasitic multinational corporations don't deserve it. Are you, are you surprised, David, at Irish people in general? We talked about the Irish and our culture a few minutes ago, and our Cabinet of Fault, and we're pretty good at sticking together, etc., etc. In Ireland, for example, the government tried to introduce water charges going back three years ago. The Irish people got together. They, hundreds of thousands marched on the streets. They're very good at standing up for their rights, generally speaking. Are you, are you Where, yeah. Are you surprised at the Irish people and the way this whole pandemic is being dealt with and people are not really questioning anything, or do you believe, or what's creating that fear of questioning something? Is it the well, media uh, and the way the media are portraying the well, pandemic? I think our educational system has changed over years. Um, I think there's been a, a kind of consumerist greed, a soma, you know, like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World is so back in fashion, a soma-induced consumerist compliance, as long as we have a few drinks, and things are okay. Uh, also, we have far too much deference to authority. You know, I mean, we shouldn't respect any of our institutions. I have zero respect for uh, most of our politicians. Zero respect for our band of police force, mostly. Zero respect for many of the institutions. States. You only accord respect to people who deserve it, and that has been traditionally a great feature of Irish life. But it seems to have dissipated. And if people are overly compliant and go along with all of this, they're going to participate in their own self-destruction. Because the simple fact is, people need sustainable living structures in Ireland to contribute to the economy. Brad could talk nonsensically uh, about, you know, I'm all in favour of people who get up and work hard in the morning. Yeah, well, great, yeah. But give them proper quality of life. Give them a, a proper set of... You know what somebody said to me earlier on? I had a private conversation on the telephone earlier on with somebody who was quite learned. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said to me that he believes that... Now, I'm only telling you what he said, that, that Michal Martin, Leo Varadkar and many politicians hate Ireland. And he said they would much prefer to be part of Europe. In other words, they they don't see the Irish culture and the Irish people per se uh, and the way we live as being important. They believe that we should be integrating that into Europe and we're Europeans now and they want this more metropolitan idea of Ireland. In other words, forget about the rural Ireland. I mean, we know how important, for example, the well, pub well, is to rural mm-hmm. Ireland. Yeah, you know. look, look how Europe has destroyed Ireland, the way it has destroyed Greece. And I did several court cases in Greece. The, the assertion by people like Merkel uh, of austerity has to, it is a false economic model, and it has destroyed working and middle-class people. And what have we got? The enrichment of bureaucrats in Brussels. Varoufakis recently said he thinks it's like a supernova. Uh, the the tossers in Brussels will keep enriching themselves until they blow up. Brad, uh, when he got booted up the bottom for losing the election, said, well, maybe Brussels will like me or something like that. I mean, I don't know about Martin. I mean, I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. 
Well, he, well, he has been accused of being quite quiet at the moment and have not having a lot to yeah, say. Well, which... I, 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 I don't think he's a leader. You know, oh, Gay Byrne thought he was a leader, but he's a leader in a very passive sense of the term. Yeah, I think he is being um, quite passive at the moment. Okay, but, ju- yeah. but just finally, because I, and I know I've kept you a long time. And, no, and, but, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, where do you see this going? I mean, as I said to you already, this time next year, are we going to have the same conversation? Are we going to be back in lockdown with COVID-20 no, uh, yeah, and no, 21? No. And we've, we've got to be very careful. Um, as a nation, um, livelihoods are at stake. Healthcare rights are at stake. The quality of Irish existence and life is at stake. But that doesn't seem to bother them at the moment, David. They're still doing it. And we know that. We know that there's no early diagnosis for cancers at the moment. constitutional challenge and a proper conversation that we're living in an altered universe and we need a new deal. We need a public-private partnership and we need to get rid of the rotten cancer at the core of us. Yeah, but, but that's easy to say in a democratic country where we have elections and basically in your election you're given three choices, all of whom will make exactly the same decisions when they're voted in, so it makes no difference who you bloody vote for, and, that, and people feel that they're disconnected from society. Well, but it's become a spectator democracy because if you get, you know, whatever you think about Sinn Féin, if their agenda and housing issues is correct, but then no one wants to go into government with them because they end up with... But, but but this is a disaster. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, if you look at it sequentially over the next couple of years, unless structural things are done about housing, healthcare, recalibration wealth, finally dealing with the toxic cancer of vulture funds and Goldman Sachs and these criminal corporate entities from Canada and America with their frontages in the law firms of Ireland, unless something is done about that, the existence for most Irish people, save those who are, um, you know, salting it in for exploitation, will not be good. We're going to deal with... And what about young people and the right to education? Uh, or their right to a meaningful career? If they're being kept permanently at home, not in school, living with their family until they're in their 30s, endless postgrad, we need a new deal. And if we don't get it from this present government, you know... And we also probably need a constitutional challenge with a meaningful conversation about these emergency powers. I am not confident, sunset clause or not, you know, dull debates are kind of exercises in idiocy and futility, that it won't just go through the norm. We've got coronavirus number two. Let's extend it on. I mean, okay, but, but I, I'm sure you've spoken to many of your barrister friends, David, in your circles, in the chambers. I mean, and what is their feeling um, in relation to, say, say mandatory mask wearing, um, you know, uh, locking people in two kilometres from their homes. Um, what is oh, that? What? doesn't happen in Britain, the second. The well, yeah, they brought the mandatory mask wearing in Britain as well, didn't they? Oh, oh yeah, no, I, I, I was wearing a mask all day today, uh, and I've written something on my website about it. Um, 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 you know, I was, and it's, it's frightening. I, I think when you people wear masks, you know, it's a dehumanization process like Venice or something like that or, or, or a pantomime. But what, what, what has the reaction post- been from your barrister friends? Do they all believe that it's... Con- in, in Britain, it's different, of course, because you come at law. But here in Ireland, we have a constitution that protects us against no, dubious Britain legislation. Convention. No, I, I, I think that protection in Britain is better. It has the European Convention and it has judges who strictly enforce it. I lectured constitutional law for 16 years. Jared Hogan, who's now a judge in Europe, said... Well, look, in 16 years, they haven't, the Irish Supreme Court haven't struck down a single piece of social legislation. And their attitude towards due process and criminal defendants' rights has been a disgrace. 
most evident in the JC case when the late great Adrian Hardiman gave a 100-page judgment giving out about the idiocy of his colleagues. I, I, actually, you, I, I, I must talk to you at greater length another time in relation to the Innocence Project, but, which no, I, know, but, I know you've been involved in. Yeah, but, but let's be clear about this. The Soviets had a written constitution. There is no point having a constitution if you don't enforce it to protect people's rights. What's urgently needed are protection of housing, healthcare rights, right to earn a livelihood, and proper levels of standard for decent working and middle-class people. And a recalibration of the system in terms of investment in New Deal to stop the destruction of the country by European austerity, vulture funds, corporate bandits, NAMA, and all that jazz. Okay. Listen, it's been wonderful talking to you, uh, and certainly very enlightening as well. Thank you very much indeed, David Langwellner. I appreciate it. There you go, that's David Langwellner, who is a public law barrister, uh, who studies the Constitution and where we stand, and he believes there should be a constitutional challenge, certainly against the legislation. He's not saying that sometimes the legislation is in the the, the greater interest of mankind and public health, uh, but he doesn't believe that we could continue to keep doing that because, obviously, the economics of the country wouldn't survive it. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.